0: We've heard about uh, how the Lord changed Jacob's name to Israel. We've heard about Peter, how he got his name. But today we're going to have a little bit of a twist in, uh, in our series. And um, we're going to talk about Naomi. Uh, Naomi, who is found in the book of Ruth. A small book in the Old Testament, but a powerful book. And actually, Naomi changes her own name... Tomorrow, It means bitter. God reaffirms Naomi, however, taking her from being bitter to better. Amen? Isn't that what God does in our lives? So I just want to um, tell you this morning, we had you fill out your country on your your badge today, Uh, kind of different, but uh, just to have us think a little bit about you know, all the travels we've done, maybe... I was talking to somebody this morning where it's no longer third culture kids, but, you know, fourth and fifth and sixth culture kids. We do so much moving about today, don't we? But, you know, some of you have come to France to free work. Some of you have come to France to study. I know many university students who come here to get their, their degrees. And others are here because they're, they're seeking refuge. They're seeking a place to find um, help and maybe a better life. And uh, so we're going to look at the, bo- the book of Ruth today. But I want to tell you from the get-go that this book is a perfect illustration of what Paul tells us in Romans. Um, the, the book of Romans, chapter eight, twenty-eight. And I want us to see this verse up up behind me. And I want us to say it together. I think it's good to hear it. So let's just read this verse together. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Would you, would you just say that one more time? I want you to hear it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's a truth that maybe some of us are, you know, a little bit squeamish about. Maybe, you know, life has dealt us some, some hard knocks, and we're not so sure that God works all things together. But the Lord tells us in his word, in Romans 8:28, and we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So let's resume a little bit the book of Ruth. Uh, Maybe some of you have never read it, which is fine. Um, Maybe you've read it, but it's been a long time. And it's just four short chapters after the book of Judges. And the book of Judges tells us that um, it was in the the days uh, when there was no king in Israel, But you're going to see how God is involved in the day-to-day joys and hardships of Naomi and Ruth. And I think you're going to start to think about how you see God involved in the day-to-day joys and sufferings or hardships of your life. Um, During the period when the judges reigned, there was no king. Absolutely no king. And so what did people do? The judges, judges at the end of the book, it's in uh, chapter uh, 21, verse 25, tells us: In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every did, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Doesn't that seem like today? Everyone is doing what they see is right in their own eyes. We do have a president. The country does have a government. But when you think, when you think of. Uh, how people live today all over the world, they are doing what is right in their own eyes. It's called relativism. Uh, we see that all over the place. It's, it's right for me, this is, this is what I'm doing, you know, what's right for you. So we all have our, our little um, mode of morality. But this is a, the story of a, an Israelite family, and they, are, they leave Israel to go to the country of Moab. And Moab was uh, a longtime enemy of Israel. Um, Moab came together as a country uh, just to give you a little bit of history uh, when Lot was leaving Sodom and Gomorrah he was, he was turning his back on Sodom and Gomorrah getting out of there with his wife and his, his uh, two daughters and we know that you probably know about Lot's wife she turns around and looks back and she turns into a pillar of salt and but uh, you know Lot headed off with his two daughters And what happened is, is the daughters thought, my goodness, we're not going to have any heritage, we're not going to have any children. And so there was an incestuous relationship with their father. And that's how Moab came about. So the the Jews, the Israelites, they were forbidden to go into Moab and to marry the Moabites. Um, So right away, we know from the very beginning that uh, that was not a very good thing. So why did they go to Moab? Well, there was famine. There was famine in, in Israel, and so there wasn't enough food. And so they headed into um, Moab. And, uh, you know, I, th- I thought of that as I was preparing this question. There's so much about famine in the Word of God. How things actually happen. People get displaced because of famine. I thought of Joseph, how he went ahead and went into Egypt. And then later on in history, what happens? His entire family comes to Egypt because there's famine. Um, so God is using all of these circumstances to bring about his purposes. So the, the husband, Elimelech, and his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Killian and, and Malin, head to um, Moab, and they're there for not too long, and what happens? Elimelech dies. So, so Naomi becomes a widow. And uh, sad affair. And then what happens is the two sons decide to marry, and they're there for about 10 years. And, um, and not, neither one of the, the families have any children. And so you know, Naomi sees that she's without a husband, she's a widow, and also there's no, there's no children. And then what happens is the two sons die. They're there for about 10 years, and so she has no children, and she has no grandchildren. And so she hears that things are getting better in Israel. And, uh, you know, in Moab, it was just death and tragedy. That's, that, that's the way it was. It was just death and tragedy in Moab. And so she hears in, uh, that in Bethlehem, um, that God has helped his people. And that he's providing food for them. So she starts out with her two daughters-in-law, <laughs> who have been with her all this time. And uh, they, head, they start to head for Bethlehem. But along the way, Ruth says, oh, you know what? Orpah and, and Ruth, it would be better that you go back to your own people. Kind of a practical way of thinking because she thought, my goodness, you're gonna, you two are going to come to Israel. You're foreigners. You, know, you, you probably won't find a, a husband in Israel. So why don't you uh, just go back? And here we see that um, Orpah takes the advice that uh, Naomi gives her but we see Ruth, who is just has an undying love for her for her mother-in-law. There's a special relationship here that goes beyond even their relationship, because all this while there's, there's a testimony that Naomi has brought into the household. She is a she is faithful to God, even though she is bitter. She is faithful, and Ruth gets to see um, the reflection. Of Naomi's God. And this is what Ruth says, and it's truly an expression of the Hebrew word that is used within the book of Ruth, hesed, which which means God's grace, God's uh, undying love, and also his unconditional love. It's such a rich word that um, translators find it difficult to just use one word. But, you know, the grace of God is unmerited, isn't it? It's his favor. And here is Ruth, who is a foreigner, pouring out love on Naomi. And she says, and and, then the verse will appear up here, uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Don't urge me to leave you, to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. What a, what a wonderful expression in this vow of, of really God's love. And so here is Ruth being an instrument of grace, just being poured out on Naomi, who is a widow and who has no more family And she's heading back to her people, but she has no idea what's going to be before her. And even when the people see her, uh, the women in, in Bethlehem as she's arriving, they say, oh, isn't that Naomi? They remember her even after all these years. And she says, don't, this is where she says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. That's what her name meant, pleasant. And she said, call me Mara. She was bitter. She felt that God had dealt her all of this. She felt that he had really abandoned her. Have you ever felt that way? I'm sure we all have. We we felt in different ways that, you know, even maybe God has dished out what we're we're going through. But we'll see that this is not the case. And so what happens is, uh, Ruth learns from Naomi, of course, what life is like in Israel. And there's some benefits here. Because as a foreigner, Ruth can go out to the fields, and she can reap. Not with the reapers, but she can pick up the grain that's left over. This is what the foreigners who came to the land could do. They could be provided for in that way. And so Ruth goes, and she finds a field, and it just so happens that she's in a field that is owned by a man named Boaz, who happens to be a relative of Naomi's husband, who had passed away. And uh, so Ruth comes back, and, and Boaz had heard about Ruth. And, and he had heard that this woman, who came from Moab, was full of grace. And that she, she, what she had done for her mother-in-law, word was spreading all over the place about this woman of character, of noble character. She's, a, she's like the woman of Proverbs 31. She's just responding to uh, taking care of her mother-in-law and loving her. And, And God's grace is flowing through her. She's out there working hard. And so Boaz does the same. He starts to bless her and says, take this, take more. And he allowed her to get even closer. And he was telling those that were working for him, leave some really good sheaves there for her. And so we're seeing this abundance and God's abundant grace Coming to Naomi, who was from Israel, through a foreigner who had come into the land. Isn't, isn't that amazing how God can work? Uh, if, if we begin to, to look back over our lives, um, we can see that, you know, there are things that have happened uh, that maybe didn't make sense at the time. But at, le- at least in my life, I look back and, and I can see how God was at work and how his hand was upon my life during those circumstances. So anyway, as Ruth comes back, she tells Naomi all about this and of course Naomi's like, "Wow, yes. This is God's favor. Boaz is a is a relative." And you know what she tells Ruth? Not only will he be eligible to redeem the land that my husband owned, so that we would have property, but you know what Naomi says to Ruth? He is eligible. He can marry you. And he can be your husband. And so things are beginning to look up. And Naomi has great hope at this time. And um, it, it was funny, you know, before, Naomi was so bitter that she couldn't see the forest for the trees. Isn't that how it is sometimes for us? We get caught up in the details, and, and we can't see further than our nose, as, as we say. And we don't, we don't understand. We can't see the big picture. Um, but here we are, and we finally have Naomi making a turn. And there's, a, there's another picture that comes to my mind, is that, you know, when life gives you lemons, we have this saying, make lemonade. You know? <laughs> so, so Naomi is beginning to have hope, and she's looking up, and she's, she's thinking. And um, so this grace that is coming from Ruth Uh, on Naomi uh, just gets larger and larger and so Ruth gets bolder and bolder she's a strong woman and there's a whole process that she goes through she listens to Ruth's instructions uh, to Naomi's instructions and one evening after the harvest is over she goes and she asks Boaz to be the redeemer to be the close relative redeemer kinsman redeemer and also to marry her and he, he is so blessed, he is not taken aback by this, but he is so blessed. And he talks about how Ruth has, has blessed his mother-in-law, and now you are blessing me. And we find at the end of the story that Boaz goes to the gate of the city. This is where all of the legal processes went on, you know, in Bethlehem. And there's a little twist in the story, because there's even a closer relative who is first in line, and so Boaz tells Ruth, look, this guy, he has, he has first dibs. If he wants to purchase the property and marry you, then I have to step back. And so there's this suspense at the end of the story. But what ends up happening is, is the first guy says, no, it would be too complicated for my own heritage, so you can go ahead, Boaz. And they seal the deal with a sandal. He has to take off his sandal and give it to to Boaz in front of all of the the people of the town. And uh, so it's a a public transaction. Um, Marriage is a public transaction, folks. Everybody knows. It's something to be witnessed. And so this was an incredible event. And at the end of the story, we see life and joy. And uh, maybe uh, Naomi and Ruth never knew about this, but in the scriptures, we see at the end that Ruth bears a son to Boaz, and his name is Obed who becomes the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David in the tribe of Judah. And this is the family line of Jesus. Jesus, our kinsman-redeemer. Isn't it wonderful how the Lord can use all things? He can work everything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he can work out his purposes. So the book of Ruth tells us that while Israel's history was moving them further and further away from God under divine judgment, it wasn't the whole story. See, there's always a faithful people. There, will still, there, was, there were still men like Boaz, who was, a, who was a man of character and who blessed his workers and who blessed the foreigners who came in. He was obedient. There were still women like Naomi, even though they, they were hardened by life they continued to seek God. She returned to Israel and she came under the blessing of God and the Lord was able to work out the circumstances of her life, even bringing her daughter-in-law into the fold. There were still people like Ruth who brought the whole family of God's people together and, and it's through the testimony of her mother-in-law, Naomi, even though that she was born a foreigner, she was brought into the family of God. God uses all your life experiences, and he works them together for your good and his purpose. Let me tell you a little bit about me. After I graduated from university in, back in 1971, um, I couldn't find a job. That's a common occurrence, isn't it, for many of us. We finish our studies, and we look for a job, and we can't find it. I know that we pray often. I pray often with the university students to find a job. And I ended up going, I was wanting to be a French teacher, um, but there were were no jobs to be had. So I ended up going to West Africa, to a French-speaking country, Togo, to teach English. Pretty neat, right? Um, And while I was there, I was also on my spiritual journey. I had left uh, the church that I had been raised in. Um, I just couldn't find answers to questions. Um, All of my life I had been raised, in, and, and But it was just religion, you know? I didn't have a real relationship with God. And um, so I was seeking. And um, it was there when I was in Togo that I was convicted in my heart, and I said, oh, you know, i got to do something spiritual. So I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a Bible. So I went and I bought a Bible. And I started reading the Bible in French. That was my first Bible. And every once in a while I'd go to church, and I'd pray, and I'd, I'd think. God was... God was calling me, God was weaving some things in my life. I just happened to do that, right? Happened. Um, Then, when I was traveling with a friend through Ghana, we have a lot of people here from Ghana, I went up to the north of Ghana, couldn't get back into Togo, and there we were in the marketplace, stuck, and we happened to meet an American missionary who invited us back to her home. And I was blessed and my friend with the hospitality that comes from the family of God. They put us up for the night. I never forgot them. They marked my life. And I, later on, I found myself um, back in New York City, now working on my master's degree. That in now, four years had gone by. And I had bought an English Bible, and I was reading. And it was there that God touched my heart. And he convicted me of, of uh, sin and righteousness and judgment as I was reading in the book of Romans, the same book that we're looking at today for Romans eight twenty eight, and And the new life came into my heart. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I belonged to the Lord. And uh, I had power over sin for the first time in my life. I was able to, I said, God, prove to me that I'm a Christian. Prove to me that that I belong to you. And he did. As I went forth and I was able to put uh, my life in order, you know, cut off relationships that weren't healthy for me and do what I needed to do. And I just want to share a scripture with you that is, just shows you the power of the word of God. The Bible is a miracle. It's a miracle that we have the written word of God, folks. And don't deprive yourself of it, because it is living and active. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, the Holy Spirit tells us, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God is as much involved in the daily and mundane routine of our lives as he is in the redemptive purposes of the world. You see, sometimes we, we feel, and I've heard this God created the world and all the universe, but then He just left us to our own, you know, our own resources. That's not true. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that He sent His Son, who became one of us. And God is involved in our lives daily, and especially when we turn to Him in prayer. This is called God's providence. Ravi Zacharias gives a tremendous example of this. He went back to India and he was he wanted to find out where these beautiful wedding saris were made. And he thought, man, they must be some intricate machines, you know, that get all these threads and, and put it all together. And he found out when he went to this town where these beautiful saris were made, um, that it was a father-son team. And the father sat above the son on a platform surrounded by several spools of thread. And then he would gather into his fingers and the son had only one task below. And that was at the father's nod, he would take the shuttle from one side to the other and he repeated this hundreds of times, hundreds of times. I want you to see a picture of the woven... woven uh, fabric that came from one of these. I, I just went online and got a picture to show you. See, the son had an easier task, but the pattern emerged as, at the father's nod. And, you know, the father was working to an intricate end. All along, he had the design in mind, and he was bringing the right threads together. God alone can weave a pattern from the disparate threads of our lives. Whether suffering, success, joy, or heartache. And he fashions a magnificent design. God has not left us to our own resources. He is every day, every moment involved in our lives. See, providence means God's foresight the way he anticipates and prepares for the future. Providence is God's way of guiding and steering human history. He is present and he's active in the world, sustaining and ruling it. He is sovereign. He is God. But at the same time, he is here with us. He is here with us now. And he wants to be actively involved in every detail of our lives. See, providence is also the way he guides and steers your life, personally and individually. He works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. To continue my story a little bit, I went back to Benin in West Africa after several years, it was in 1976, to direct a Peace Corps program. The Peace Corps was begun by President Kennedy. Maybe some of of you remember that season. And we we were sent out to help um, developing nations. But I was there doing a training program. And this is when my life took a turn for some hard knocks. I got a letter from my brother. Uh, At that time, you know, it was difficult to phone. But he wrote to me and he explained to me very gently that my mother, who had been ill, had had exploratory surgery, and that she had cancer of the colon, and that she didn't have long to live. There I was, thousands of miles away in Benin. I was a young believer, and and I went, and I remember praying and just crying out to God. And then kind of what sealed it for me is when I got a phone call, actually, from my father. And for the first time in my life, I heard my father weep on the phone. And I said, Dad, I'm coming home. And I remember uh, flying through Paris to get back to Washington, DC. And my father came to meet me. And we went immediately to the hospital. My mom lived for two more weeks. I was by her side. We were all by her side when she went into glory. Of course, I had prayed for healing. But boy, what a transition for our lives. My mom had been the hub of our family. And now the hub was gone. And so each of us had to find our way and and go through grieving and deal with with all of that. But I can tell you that God met me. He sent the Christian community to our home to bring us meals, to bring flowers, to bring encouragement. I found a prayer group just up the the street from me and ladies who just... uh, uh, would, would listen and, and want to, to come near. The Lord did not leave us as orphans. He will not leave you as an orphan. He will, he will take care of you. And uh, I just saw how the Lord, Jesus, is our kinsman redeemer. See, he, I needed him so desperately. And so he helped me not only physically, not only emotionally, not only, you know, in, in the psychological realm and in all of these needs. He also helped me spiritually. And I was hungering for more of him. And this is what we hunger for today. This is what uh, Ruth saw in Naomi. She was hungering for the truth. And she met the kinsman redeemer. She met, she met really the, you know, the, this is a, a precursor for meeting Jesus. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. We have all been adopted into the family of God. I could place myself in Ruth's position and see that I, too, was a wanderer. I was outside of the family of God, and yet he brought me in, and I met Jesus. He is our kinsman redeemer. See, God's providence is there. As I prayed, and look at the prayers in the book of Ruth. Um, Naomi prayed for Orpah and Ruth. She she said, May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the hope of another husband. And then we find that Boaz prays for Ruth. He says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And then Naomi prays, she prays, blessed is the man who took notice of you. The Lord bless him. She's blessing Boaz. There's so much blessing in the book of Ruth, even though we see bitterness and we see a hard time. The elders that are at the gate, they pray for Boaz. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring of the Lord that he, that he gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. It's like prophetic prayer. And we're seeing, actually, God at work. God at work in his plans, affecting, affecting his plans through these people. The women pray... They say, pray for Naomi. Praise be to the Lord at the birth of Obed, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous through Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. This was a time when things were really hard. And yet we see God in this microcosm of faithfulness, blessing his people. Ruth's life was totally transformed from being a foreigner to being a member of God's family, from being a widow in Moab to a wife in Israel, from barrenness to birthing a son in the line of David. Naomi, she discovered what pleasantness really meant. And uh, after a great loss, she was bitter, And then her life got even better than ever. And from being in want to being blessed beyond measure. Being tried and tested, she came out as pure gold. See, our prayers make a difference. Your prayers make a difference. Maybe you're ready to give up. But God wants to challenge you today. Not only do your prayers affect your own life, but they can also affect the course of history. We see that in this this book. How providence and prayer work together is a mystery. It's incredible. God is sovereign, and he works out his purposes through history. Yet he involves you and me in the process. That's almost unfathomable, isn't it? You can trust God in all the events and circumstances of your life. The question is Will you? Will I? Will we trust the Lord with all the circumstances? You can trust God with your future, with your family, with your church, with your nation. The whole is in his hands. We used to sing a song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Well, that is the truth. He does. And he's working out his purposes. I would like to close our service today. I'm going to invite Felipe to come. God doesn't want us to be overwhelmed. He wants us to come to him. And I would like to close our service today with prayer. I would like us all to pray. Um, I would like our prayer teams to be available for prayer. And uh, we, we, we just want to approach the Lord today. The Lord is here. He doesn't want us to be overla- overwhelmed. Perhaps some of you, you find yourselves in situations you have no idea what the end is going to be. You have no idea. You're looking for, for refuge. You want to put yourself under the wings of refuge of the Lord. Maybe you have been bitter and you, you just don't want to, you know, even think of it, but... I I pray today that you would allow God to speak to you. We can pray for one another. We can um, just pray for ourselves. Let's look to the Lord. Has God challenged you to trust him as he is active in your life? He is active. He's not far away. He is sovereign, but he is active in your life. And he wants to speak to you today. So let's look to the Lord and let's acknowledge his presence And let's lift up our hearts to him in praise and prayer. Hey, this is Kelly, lead pastor of the Bridge International Church. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from the Bridge. If you'd like more information about the Bridge, or if you'd like to get in touch with us, visit us at thebridgeparis.com.